Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Holganics, as well as many veterans such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Today we got uh, Sproul Farms on the podcast. We got Paul Sproul, Susie Sproul, we got their daughters Grace, Annie, and Molly on. We got their nephew Michael who actually runs the farm. Uh, Swole's Farms was established in 1993 and is located in Grand Forks, North Dakota. They're uh, growing a lot. They do everything from sugar beets, soybeans, edible beans, corn, wheat, rice, oats, hemp, potatoes, and carrots. In addition to that, they've uh, also started a pasta company we'll talk a lot about, and it's called Three Farm Daughters. So uh, with that, I'd like to welcome all you guys to the show. Hi. Welcome. Thank you very much. Cool. I guess we'll start with uh, Paul and Susie. I guess how did the farm get started, and uh, did did you two start the farm, or? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we started the farm uh, previous to farming. I worked for. Uh, I had an uncle and aunt that farmed, and I lived with them, and that's where I kind of took a, a liking to it and appreciation for agriculture. And from that, uh, college, and then uh, from that, I went to work actually for Frito-Lay in their uh, procurement side and did that for a number of years. And and uh, with potatoes, so it gave me an opportunity to see a lot of the country. Great company. But uh, they asked me to move a few times. I wanted to stay where, where my wife and I are from. So I quit, and uh, we started a brokerage company in 89. And from the brokerage company, then in 93, I, I wanted to be a farmer. And uh, so that's when we started. So you guys are first generation. You're first generation farmers. Well, we are we, we are as a couple, but Susie's dad and her family had been farming, had been farming for a number of years, and they had a very successful operation, still have today. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's where it's at. Oh, so where would you guys start farming? Did you just, you, I was assuming potatoes, it sounds like. Was that your first oh, kind of yeah, crop? We started with just renting land for potatoes for a couple of years. And then we didn't get the land kind of the work that we wanted from a rotation purpose. And so then we um, went full bore on all crops in about 96, I think it was, or 95, someplace in there, a couple of years after we started. And then the operation just really grew from there. And Mike, you got on board. And, and Full-time in 95, I believe. Yeah, 95, and, uh, and it evolved from there, and then um, that's where we're at today. 
Hey, Paul, I got a question. It, and we get a lot, we do have a lot of people that are wanting to get into farming or just like you and your wife or thinking of getting into farming. What, uh, <laughs> as we know with everything, there's a nice, healthy learning curve. What, what's, uh, what's your worldly wisdom? How many years does it take to become, you know, where, where, where can you start to see some light and, and some profitability and, and learn, you know, some, from some of your mistakes and what, what would it take you guys? Five years, three years, right out of the gates, you 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 hit a home run. No, we didn't. Uh, uh, you hopefully when you start, you you'll get a first and a second base. And, you know, you're not to hit a home run is a, is, is a huge challenge. Uh, but uh, you know, through those early years, we had a lot of adversity with really really bad weather, rain. We lost a lot of crops, but uh, we just we just stuck it out. Yeah. It takes a long time because you're building equity. So you're living minimally. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's, you know, a lot that people, especially in today, you know, a lot of younger, we're seeing a lot of younger couples, you know, back when you guys were younger in the nineties and wanting to go get into farming, just like Jordan and his uh, new wife to be. And, you know, I just think it's, it's a, uh, it's a tall task, you know, where the price of land is today and, loans you're gonna to have to borrow quite a bit you're gonna be in debt for for a long extended period of time and you know what when the mistakes that you make on top of that early on can can really uh you know it, it can i think it can test a lot of people and a lot of couples and and we rarely we don't normally get a lot of first generation farm family you know most a lot of the people came from the homesteading act and you know and their families had farms and by then some of the debt was paid down and debt, and it is just a different situation. So I think it's awesome to hear your guys' story where, you know, you started off, had to hoe the road, so to speak, and, and make things happen. So, yeah, I, I just think the advice to the younger kids is, you know, it, it does take a lot and there is a learning curve on everything. And I'm sure the girls will talk about that in the, uh, with the pasta business and, <laughs> and everything else that you guys venture off into so yeah good great stuff i'm glad we have someone a first generation group so yeah what, what did uh what what'd you do before you started with the farm michael actually i moved up here in the early 90s and went to college for a couple of years and didn't really know what i wanted to do so i went back to california for six months and realized after being up here for a couple of years through college and helping uh, the same relative that Paul grew up with farming, I would go up there in the summer, that it was uh, kind of a different lifestyle. And I was actually doing construction. And then during harvest, I would help Paul. And then one day over breakfast, he asked me if I would ever have any interest in farming. So I believe 95-ish is when I decided to come to the farm full time. So, so I had more of a construction background building. How old were you? So I would have been 21 then when I started farming. So uh, Michael was the first employee? No, I was not. Um, actually, I think when I first started farming uh, that year, when I started, Paul had some potatoes down in Louisiana. And when I started that spring, I went down there for a few weeks for, for harvest. But I'm more of the hands-on, I'd say mechanically inclined whether it's electrical construction or whatever, and just a hard desire to work. 
And what I liked about the farm was you'd get out there early in the morning, just the fresh air, the smell of the tractor whenever you started it. And when you come from uh, a big city and you get out in the open, I mean, you really realize what life is about. It's peaceful, it's quiet. And I just kind of grew into like it, not being a farm kid growing up where you walked out of the house to the quad center to, to a barn. I came from a city that had neighbors and walls that you didn't really know some of your neighbors to being here and it's just a tight, tight knit community in Grand Forks and the state of North Dakota. Cool. So we're, uh, Susie, were you, did you and Paul start the farm together? Like you both just went feet first? Yes, Paul, um, we started in a basement. Well, a broker's company. In the basement. I always took care of the administration whether that's bills, payroll, whatever. And Paul was always the salesperson and the manager. He was the hands-on, but I was behind the scenes in the office. So yeah, we knew each other pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I think the hard part when anybody starts any business is you do your business in the daytime. And we had to get to the point at night, we just couldn't talk about business, but we used to do that. To finally be said, there's no more business when we come home. He's got to quit. And, and, and you know, when you get together as a family, you sit over a meal, and all of a sudden the conversation can sway rather quickly into business. So it's you, you got to keep that focus sometimes out of the business. And I think you you folks have done it too. Uh, yeah, we've, we've had that conversation a lot with other folks. Like when, when uh, it's hard to turn it off, I guess. Right. <laughs> We're all we're all so invested in yeah <laughs> at our dinner table. It it starts with one question and turns into three hour conversation. <laughs> and Paul, it isn't it isn't bad with just the kids, but now that the kids' spouses or significant others are involved, they're like, "What in the hell do these this family all they talk about is?" <laughs> and it's funny because when we get we just get together, we ran by the other day. To talk, I don't know, we we're helping the kids with a Christmas tree or something. And the next thing. The conversation spun and we're over deep talking in about FarmCon and some other events. And I can just see Jordan's, you know, fiance sitting there like, okay, guys, here we go again. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you got to keep it in the forefront of your uh, thoughts for sure. I mean, yeah. to try not to, to hang it up, I guess, when you come in the house, but it's difficult, especially when your wife's involved, you're involved. Yeah. And that's just like Michelle and I, I mean, she does all the books, handles all the she says I make the messes and she has to clean it all up is what she says, but that's probably about, that's probably about how it works, you know? So we never let Paul take anything unless we have a photocopy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so are uh, the girls are, are all your husbands involved in the farm too and the business or they kind of got their own thing going? Nowadays they kind of all have their own thing going um, throughout time. They were all involved at some point. Um, for example, my husband's actually from Minneapolis originally. So when we got engaged, I was in school up here. Um, when he asked my dad to marry me, he, my dad was like, well, she needs to finish school. So I hope you plan to move here. And so he actually moved up here and started working on the farm for a couple of years. I eventually gone out and done other things in the egg industry, but same with Grace and Annie's husband both have worked on the farm. Um, just pretty much how we haze the into the family. We have to be able to work on the farm for a few years. At least a few summers of school and see how they fare. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when did uh, when did you guys start getting involved in the farm? Did you 
when you were little or wasn't until you came back from uh, after college or did you guys kind of go off and do your own thing after college? So we all went off to college uh, out of Grand Forks. Um, but as my parents kind of mentioned, uh, business and family kind of never was separated. You know, they brought their work home and I felt like they really immersed us in the business. Numerous times they would bring us to the office and we'd be like playing with coloring books and they'd be you know, taking phone calls and making sales and planning crop uh, crop fields and different things. So, but so we all left and went to college and then we all actually moved back to Grand Forks after college. So we like to say that the farm like tugs at your heartstrings and we all came back, which is kind of crazy because mm -hmm. we never really planned on it. So, um, yep, I came back to work on the farm right after I got my undergrad and then I went to our local university for my graduate degree. And during that time, I started to get involved in the farm. Who's the oldest? Who's the youngest? I am the oldest. You're the oldest. I am, yeah. Molly's the middle and I'm the youngest. Okay, perfect. All right. How far apart are you guys? We're about two years, but Annie's the oldest, then two years, then myself, and then three years, and then Grace. Perfect. So you're all and pretty then, close. Yeah. My sister. Yeah. So, so when did it, I guess, uh, so when did the, the farm start evolving? I guess maybe it started with uh, Paul. I don't know. But when, when did you guys start getting into kind of... Uh, the higher technology type stuff turning into the farm or was that kind of more when the girls came on board they kind of started heading that up you know we we had uh you know i had an opportunity my first piece of technology I ever saw was Tulare, california a number of years ago i went to that that show out there in february and that's the first time i ever seen a, a self-driving tractor so that's the first thing we did is we got gps on a tractor and then we immersed with uh conservice software and we've been in with that like what now since since 2011 with conservice yeah so that's been 11 uh, 10, 10, 10 plus years and then we do well, precision ag we do yeah we've we've done beta stuff for different companies and when greg saw her own precision planting that was kind of one of the big things that we kind of took took on yeah because um, Mike went and met Greg because Greg's place is close to our farm in Illinois. Yeah, his Tremont uh, facility is about 40 minutes away from our farm down there. And one year finishing potato planting, I'd heard of precision planting and I just pulled up at the places I was going to drive home on my 12 hour drive. And he was actually given a dealer training and I walked in, introduced myself, and he says, Well, by all means, come and sit down and listen. So I sat there for three or four hours instead of driving home and kind of bought into to what he was trying to, to do as far as when you plant the crop, you have one, one time to plant. So ever since then, we've kind of been, been in with, with that company. Hey, Paul, I, am I, how, how far south do you guys, do you still, I heard you guys say once you, you had potatoes in Louisiana, you still that far away from home or? No, no, we were in Louisiana for one year. We went to school there. We got a little wet down there and it rained down this year. We were actually year before there was a good crop a guy had, so we got in there and I'd contracted with a fella in there, but then we went down and raised our own and then so we pulled out of there. But what we did do uh many years ago when I was uh worked on a sand mountain out of Alabama, which is 
uh, close by Fort Payne and in, in, in Hedinger there, there was volume of potatoes there that I worked with some growers with, but that's when uh, Frito-Lay was changing over to having a wash product. And those gentlemen up there, there was 13 growers didn't want to do it. So I have a good friend in Illinois and he mentioned an area in Illinois and told me to maybe drive through there. So I did. And it's actually Bath, Illinois. Abraham Lincoln surveyed it 1823. That's their marker in town there. But actually, it's the Newmiller family out of Savannah, Illinois. It's Tom and Wally Newmiller, his daughter Katie, and his son-in-law Matt, and his brother Ronnie and Celine, his wife, and his wife's sister Carrie. But they're an amazing family. So we went down, started farming. Tom and I shook hands <coughs> on the deal. We, we had an operation. We've been there now for 25 years, and our operation was on a handshake for the first seven. The time I mentioned, the time you know, Tom, I've got three daughters. You've got three daughters. We have to put this in writing so people know what we did. And it's turned out to be an amazing operation for us. Well, thanks to you. I mean, we've got some equipment down there that we did with our pivots. We're working with uh, some, some of that technology out of Israel. You know, you, you introduced us to those folks. Um, and we continue to work with them. Um, so that's been a great area for us. You plant that crop in March. We started harvest in June and through the month of July and into August. So that's the further south we go, and it's, it's been a good deal for us. Good deal. So who uh, who dreamed up the the pasta idea? The th three farm daughters. Where where how'd that get started? In this conference room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was kind of a collective thing at the time. I was back on the farm. Annie was back on the farm. Grace was just moving back. Um, and you had asked the question earlier, actually, about innovation and um, technology on the farm. And I think it's really interesting how our farm works, because I truly believe, like Michael, like he said, is very hands-on on the farm and very um, mechanical in that way. And Paul is very much or like a reader and a researcher and wants to see what's on the cutting edge. So I feel like we come up with these ideas of these new things that we want to try. And then we put a lot of it on Michael to implement it. And you do a great job. Um, so I really think like the innovation and the technology comes like a full circle. Everyone has like step one, two, and three. Um, and I feel like that's kind of how the pasta came. We started by, we were growing a high fiber um, wheat variety on our farm. And it was something Paul had read about. Uh, we pursued trying to, you know, grow it on our farm. We grew it on our farm. And then sitting in this room, it was something of like, what do you, you know, what are they going to do with this wheat? You know, this is something at the time we also were starting to have our own families and children and thinking about ways of how we wanted to feed our families and our kids and really just launch, came up with the idea of making products using this wheat we were growing on our farm. So, Do you guys have any ideas before that that might have that didn't go as planned? <laughs> oh, mercy. We've done a number of things that haven't worked as planned. And, uh, you know, I, I tell the girls uh my comment's been, you know, failure isn't fatal in business. Mm -hmm. And we've had a number of failures. We just fail quick and go on again. Yeah. So there's been a lot of things we've learned. But we're, we're, we're really blessed here in North Dakota because in Fargo, they have the Northern Crops Institute. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but you girls have taken it. I'll let you talk about, the, about NCI and what we did down there. We were just able to, you know, utilize some of their technologies and take this grain and do test pilots on, you know, different, um, how we're going to produce our product on different machines, as well as different blends and things like that. And so there was a lot of resources around, not far from where we are in Grand Forks, um, that we were able to really help us launch our company. So we founded Three Farm Daughters two years ago, 
And since then have just been, um, we started on a small scale, just trying to test it out, see what consumers feedback was. Um, and then, you know, feedback was good. And we decided we wanted to take it a little more uh, professional and branded and put a little more thought behind the bag. We, our first logo we ever did, Gracie actually clip arted together. We always joke. And so we um, worked with some marketing groups to get a full brand put together. And that's when we launched into um, a bunch more retailers as well as looked at expanding our distribution. What the, uh, so like what the first product looked like where you guys like run around, tan it out in baggies in town or. It wasn't that hunker dunk. It was a small right. pasta plant we worked with. Um, this is one was, of our first bags. This is one of our first like. bags. Yeah. Nice. So we, you know, we totally bootstrapped this whole business together and all three of us had a baby in 2020 the year we launched the company and so there was a lot of mornings we got into a retailer in Fargo that my dad drove Annie down to the retailer and Annie stocked the shelves Molly stocked shelves all the time we had to recruit um, a man from the farm to help us keep up with um, stocking shelves as well around town and we had gotten up to 38 retailers which we were laughing about last night like we were so so excited to be accepted into 38 retailers that was really big for us um and then when we rebranded and went to boxes based off of the feedback that we'd received from buyers of different retailers in different regions they were like you know this would be a better billboard if it didn't have to fall down if the shelf got low in stock so we took a lot of those learnings and applied them for the relaunch that we just did this past july um and you know one of the big things that happened was that we were able to get into distribution because without those distribution centers we the three of us and all the family we could have recruited wouldn't have been able, been able to keep up with um distributing product so we've been able to scale the company this year from that a lot better mm-hmm. so we're all all three of you guys full-time basically on the on the pasta or um got to deal with the farm and all that stuff yeah I think like with any family business we all run a lot of family businesses out of the same office and so um I still heavily work on the farm doing some things but full-time three farm daughters you know Gracie um works three farm daughters full-time as well as does a couple other things with some other companies she does my husband has a chiropractic clinic so I help him um as well so yeah I'm kind of double dip as needed. Yeah. And same with Annie. I feel like um, one thing that has worked for three farm daughters with us is being, you know, people always ask us like, how are you sisters and how are you business partners and how are you still in business? And it's kind of like, <laughs> it's a really good question. We're not sure. We just answered every day um, is we all took very different avenues on what we do in the business. Like Gracie, her strengths are very much the marketing and the website and design and positioning. And so, you know, she does that full-time for three farm daughters, but then also manages our farm website and, you know, a couple other farm companies, related companies, websites, and things like that. And whereas Annie is very much, you know, a numbers person, some things that I never want to touch, you know, she looks at spreadsheets for. And so like, we all kind of were able to complement each other's strengths really well. Strengths. And cover the weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're all heavily involved in free farm daughters and even Mike, I had him the other day running forklift for me. So <laughs> I'll stay busy. And nobody's ever afraid to speak up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I will say thanks, Mike. There's one thing about, there's a lot of alpha in this room and, and 
they know their posture and they know their position and they're not afraid to uh, speak their piece, which I think is commendable in business. Sometimes you might not agree because now we have to vote once in a while, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. So yeah, how, no, I, go ahead, Jordan. I was going to ask, uh, did, did you guys set out for this company to be as big as it is right now, or do you kind of just start it on the side for fun or, and it's kind of just blown up or. I feel like we started it. We had no idea what was going to happen. I feel like never in our wildest dreams did we, us three girls and our mom and dad and Michael ever think that we would have a CPG company. No. Um, when we first launched it, one thing we did is we put our picture on the back of the package with just like a big fight in this conference room because we thought, oh my word, like what if this completely flops and no one likes our pasta and we're always going to be known as the girls that put their <laughs> picture on this pasta that who do we think we are? Yeah. So uh yeah, I think we never we we had no idea. We took it day at a time. I think one thing too is no one in this entire room has any experience in CPG at all. And like when we did this, we didn't know what it was going to be. We didn't know what the marketplace looked like. We didn't know what we didn't know anything about distribution, retailers and whatnot. And so I feel like in the last two years since we've been doing this, uh, we've really gone to school on what it like we've had to learn a lot, um, you know, coming into this. Annie's background was real estate. Gracie's was beauty. Mine was law. And none of us had anything to do with CPG. And then we have the farmers in the room. And it was it was an interesting bunch to say you were going to be selling pasta to some national chains a couple years later. So I don't think we really expected it would have grown to this to where it is so quickly. Um, but we just continue to learn and take the learnings forward, I guess. Yeah, actually, is when we came out of NCI, when we have a mini pasta plant there, that's when we made the pasta, we brought it home and cooked it. And so we thought this is great. And that's where it just went. And I think when you haven't been in the CPG business, you probably do a lot of things that are wrong, but you also do a lot of things that people probably wouldn't do that are in the CPG business, which I think is in, this, in one way or another has helped yeah. the girls, you know, the, the business to really get out there. You, you, you're not doing it maybe a way that a different company would do it. We're just doing it mm -hmm. to an extent. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, just dove in. I think that's, you know, important. I, I, I like what Paul said earlier, you know, fail quickly on a lot of things. And we've, we've tried to take a similar approach with our family on, on doing things. And they're like, dad, we don't know anything about this. And I'm like, well, Hey, we, we aren't going to know until we dive in and learn. Right. Because it's all good in theory. Anyway, it all sounds real good if you say it real fast, but once you get in, it's like, man, everything changes and lots of new design work and lots of new uh, ideas and strategies that you thought would work that doesn't work. And, so, yeah, I think it's tough, but I, I do know a lot of farm families that are would love to take the steps you guys took. They're just everyone's kind of scared. You know, it's just it's it's overwhelming, you know, when you think about all the things that you girls and maybe what now that you see what all it took, you know, you, you may scare some people off as well. So because I know you guys have uh, you know relaunched and got the new brand and the new look and hey, it's awesome. And uh, and you're learning as you go. But it definitely has taken some a lot of uh, a lot of people and a lot of work to, to get to where you're at, I'm sure. So, and I see you guys plugging away every day. Yeah. So you guys, you guys kind of know both end of the spectrums. Like you guys sell the pretty, you sell your potatoes to pretty big retailers, don't you as well? Yeah, mostly. You no, know, in you know, in the potato business, 
you have table stock, which we don't do. That's where you know you put it in a bag and goes to a store. But all the potatoes we do are for processing, which either ends up in potato chips or ends up in a potato salad or a, or a mashed product. And we work with some really, really good people and some phenomenal companies. And so we're very, very lucky. What, what, I guess what side of the business, which, which one's harder? Are they both the same or? To be on the CPG side and the customers. I think it's very different. It's very different ways of working, you know, being on the CPG side and especially because we are still all pretty small three farm daughters company. Um, you know, we have a lot of customers that reach out directly to us and use our social channels to communicate. Uh, we get a lot of direct feedback, whether they like the product, don't like the product, what worked, what didn't work. And then whereas, you know, the farming side, when you sell it to those larger um, processing plants and whatnot, you really never see the consumer side. You just really see it. You drop it off at the plant and it's the wrong ingredient and you walk away. So I'd say it's honestly very different. It's really seeing it come full circle. And I feel like that's what a lot of farms, like you said, maybe are looking to do or want to try and start. But it is kind of scary because it's ultimately... It seems like it's all one business and it all flows together, but it's very different. Our uh, our friends, oh, Travis Potter, who had launched Tractor Soda, uh, before that, Travis had kind of blown it up a little bit with Whole Foods on the cattle side. And he, he had told us about countless nights and hours being in the stores, doing, you know, uh, samples. Johnny Hunter with Castor River Farms with uh, his rice. He's up here at High V. You know, he was cooking in the stores, giving out. Did you guys have to do? Did you guys do sample things at places? And we like, actually launched in 2020, and so we weren't allowed to be in any stores to do sampling just because of the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had we actually haven't gotten to do that yet. We haven't done that yet. I wondered yeah. if it was like, yeah, take the show on the road type of thing because it seems like that's with Tractor Soda. That's how you know when he got into. Uh, they're in all the Chipotles now and all the 7-Elevens. So it was like crazy how they made that jump. I mean, he was dipping it. I think Paul may have been there at one of those conferences where he was dipping the those drinks out of the, he had all the kids there and they were dipping them out of the, uh, you yeah. know, the old, the old coolers. Yeah. Out of cans. And I'm like, Travis, you need some, I ah, know we just got Dixie cup. And I told him, I'm like, man, I just do not like the way any of this tastes, Travis. And they went back to the drawing board, changed some things up. And it was like four or five years later. And yeah, now they're just blown up, but, yeah, that that side of it is is there's a lot of, you know, a lot of definite, uh, you know, I guess obstacles and things that you don't think of that that come about that it's like, man, I, I gotta believe it's 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 tough. It's a tough road. And to get shelf space and be in with things like are you guys looking to take the pasta to any large like a Chipotle or something, you know, a big chain that would be using pasta? Yeah, we have talked about things like that. Right now, um, we're kind of focusing 100% of our time primarily on retail and getting our retail distributors or distributors. So like today, we actually are in all the uh, Whole Foods in the Midwest. Um, we heavily are in the Midwest. We're in the Myers, Kowalski's. Um, I'm going to forget a bunch of them. Big Y, Meyer. Yeah. Central Market down in Texas and a lot of retailer. Um, re yeah, retailers. But we haven't looked too hard at the food service side and for no reason as to why not. We just, just haven't yet. Yeah, we just haven't yet. Yeah. Huh. What what's the process look like for everyone listening? What for you guys, what's the process look like to go in some of these 
retailers like Whole Foods and stuff like that? Or you guys, do you guys just like show up at corporate? Like, Hey, you guys need to throw this in the, <laughs> in the stores or how, how's all that work? So there's a category review every year, generally once a year, maybe twice a year, depending on the size of the retailer where they'll have an open review and you can submit your product. And if they select to have a meeting with you, then they'll book you on their calendar. The three of us get in this conference room, do a, a pitch of why they should take us on. Mm -hmm. And then we cross our fingers and toes and hope <laughs> that they take us. And yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of how it's been so far. We have, you know, Whole Foods was always, always seemed like a dream retailer for us. So when that happened, it really put a stake in the ground for us that. I think like, one thing too, yeah. when we, when we were in our 38 retailers, that we were bootstrapping and delivering ourselves, we thought we were like really hitting it big. And then that's when we were in the middle of rebranding. And all of a sudden we got an email from a Whole Foods buyer and like unsolicited, no idea what was, you know, going to come of it. And so we're like, okay, you know, we don't even really have, we really weren't trying to push our old product because we didn't have our case packs done. We're going to have to slot everything. Like it was a whole new setup and we wanted to have it ready before putting the investment into retailers. So we met with this girl and um, you know, she was a global buyer at the time and you, she could see that we didn't even have product in a box at the time. We were still in between such a limbo stage. Um, but she liked us and she put us on in the Midwest. And so someone's asked me the question before, like, do you think, you know, a lot of your success or some of your wins in your company have come from like hard work or is it luck or, you know, where does it come from? And I truly believe like the whole foods was, a little bit of luck. And we asked her how she found our brand, you know, cause she came to us. She was like, a friend of mine saw it on Instagram and sent to me, sent it to me. And so I just emailed you. I just Googled it. And you know, that was one getting that, that was our first real big retailer beyond our local channels and having someone, a retailer, you know, that's known in the market to be hold a lot of weight was really kind of like a feather in our hat to say like, okay, so, you know, like we're not just all sitting around this table eating pasta ourselves and drinking the Kool-Aid and thinking this is great. Like there's other people out there and retailers that truly believe in the vision of what we're trying to do mm -hmm. and our pastas as well. So that was fun. I, I got a question for you. What, since we, I have been on the board of a, a couple of different companies and have people in the space, how important would you tell the people that are listening or watching? Obviously the quality of your product is, is the best. And, and that's not in question. How important is the packaging and branding part to land where it needs to land? It's honestly incredibly important. We spent for our box, our new box, uh, we spent yeah, all the year. Yeah, show us the new look. Yeah, we've gotten them. They've sent them to our family. My wife loves them. My sister stole some of them. So, you know, we've had people fighting. It's been good. Yeah. But, it it is tricky, isn't it, on the branding and the packaging? And there's a lot that goes into that. Um, for sure. Yeah, we went through a lot of exercises as a group to identify like what is not only what is the package going to look like, but what is the voice and the tone of the of of us. We wanted the three of us to really come through on the package, so that when shoppers were in the grocery store aisle, they feel like they knew who we were. And so we always kind of say, you know, we wanted to feel like consumers have a friend in the food business because when you're strolling down the grocery store aisle before you have kids for us at least they have a lot 
lot of time to flip packages around and look at the ingredient legend and read the brand story or where it came from um, and choose, does this fit my needs as a person or you put it back on the shelf? And then as you become a mom or, you know, whatever is keeping you busy in life, you have so much less time to take the really relaxed stroll down the aisles and figure out what products fit your lifestyle. And so we position this to be a front of the food business that if you see our farm pink packages on the shelf, it is going to be the best product that you can buy for you and your family. Perfect. Did you I guys launch, did you guys launch <laughs> foods with the new box or did you start with the old, uh, old packaging? We went straight to the new box with them. Nice. Interesting yeah. that, uh, I think I may have told Jordan this story once before, but I had the privilege of working with the lady who she went off on her own to do consulting, but we had a vitamin business and vitamin and health, health type products. And she had met with us and I'd met with her and she worked for Walmart and was in charge of their, basically their marketing and packaging design. And she told me, and I don't know if that's supposed to be public knowledge, obviously, probably not, but they'll take the same product off the same line. And let's say in this example, and she brought them in to show, it was a uh, fireplace tools, you know, like tools for your fireplace, you know, like a brush, a poker and whatever. And they packaged them three different ways and they did it intentionally. Uh, and like an always save cheap version, then a middle, a mid tier that was priced uh, a lot more expensive. And then a really fancy version of the product of these tools. And it was really expensive. And they knew that they were going to steer their buyer towards that middle one. And they were going to make great margins and great profit. And it was all in the look and design that she came up with in that packaging and how that packaging was displayed. And it was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I mean, it really stuck with me a long time and how important it is on the packaging. Like you said, how are you going to, what, what is your ideal customer and how can you really directly market to capture that person's attention and, you know, what, what price point they're in and, and everything else. So yeah, a lot of thought and strategy goes into that for sure. So I'm sure you guys have spent hours and hours trying to dial that in and that's uh, no easy task. So, yeah, as I look at the box, I think about like some of the conversations we've had that are like the most tedious conversation as to like, what part of the box do you spot gloss? Mm -hmm. And like, do you put the claims on the left side or the right side? Oh no, you read from left to right. So let's put it on the right side because then they'll see the logo first or um, even just anything with, especially food products, you know, is regulated through the FDA and having things compliant and what you can say and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of thought or even just the packaging or how thick the cardboard should be. Yeah. What type of material <laughs> recyclable, you know, all of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Good stuff. For sure. What's like your, what's your guys's like big, biggest obstacle? Why aren't, why aren't you in just every store possible? <laughs> Honestly, I think right now what we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out is now that we've opened the doors to these retailers, how do we educate Americans who, what our brand is, who we are, and then where they can find us. So making sure people are actually getting physically into the store and grabbing the package off the shelf. Mm -hmm. So, you know, creating brand awareness is, you know, we obviously launched the box just last July. So we're still fairly fresh into this. So really trying to generate the awareness with people is challenging because then you kind of wonder where where is our dollar best spent with marketing? Do we go... There's so there's so many options and so many different creative outlets you can you can take with it. 
So trying to figure out how to reach people the best. Mm -hmm. Where have you guys seen the best luck at so far? Just social media, organic or? Social media is probably one of the greatest gifts to a millennial because it's free, essentially, unless you're pushing ads out. And so for us to be able to, like what I said, we um, launched in 2020, we were unable to be in store doing any sort of meet and greets with consumers to get feedback like that quickly. It was easily replaced for us by social media because people were direct messaging us questions and comments and giving us reviews direct. So we still had that, even though it wasn't face-to-face, we still had that um, dialogue happening. Mm -hmm. I remember one time you used social media, actually, you did a survey yeah as to we were trying to decide what like our final fourth shape should be and so grace went on and did an instagram survey as to like what do people like you know bow tie versus shells or elbows or shells yeah yeah and so it's just like an instant feedback which was cool to see and actually speaking to the people that are purchasing our products cool i gotta shift gears jordan yeah go for it paul susan how how did you get the girls back home. What was the enticing part here? You know, I don't know. I think Annie came back first and oh, Molly was graduating her undergrad. She wasn't sure what she was going to do. And I said, well, I think maybe she should go on to school. And I think one of her professors told her that she should apply for law school. So she did randomly. She got accepted. So that brought her back into UND. And then Grace Grace married a boy that's a North Dakota boy. <laughs> high school, high school. Yeah, so his family's here. He definitely was coming back. He's a big hunter and fisher. They're all hunters, and they're all they like North Dakota. Yeah, so it didn't take much. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. I'm assuming, yeah, Paul, you let the girls kind of find their way in the business and develop this out. Well, whose idea on the three, you know? Three farm daughters, whose idea was it to start that? The girls kind of wanted to start it, or did you help them get going, or how'd you guys do it? Well, you know, I guess it goes back, you know, they all came back home, which is great because Annie came back and got her MBA. MBA here. Grace got hers down at her MBA down in Minneapolis, and Molly finished here, but they all came back, which was great because uh, her husband's two of them are from here, and Stephen is, is from. Minneapolis area, but uh, as I told him, I said Molly isn't leaving until <laughs> until she's done with school. So he came back and went to work on the farm, and he's and we're just so blessed that they're all here living in our community, and the grandkids are within minutes of our house, and uh, so it, it's very close. But as far as how we got the idea, you know, the wheat was there. You, you just always look, or I've always looked, and I think they do too, look for value add. You know, I just uh, I think a farmer's great at producing a product and then ship it to somebody else for them to take care of it and then to have the, you know to make it into a final good. Where uh, we had an opportunity, we learned about the about the grain. We got some other things that we're raising our farm right now that we're growing that hopefully we'll one day maybe go to market with something else, but we'll wait and see. But I just. Uh, yeah, we want to take advantage of those things that we can do. You know, like uh, we do a lot of certified seed. We have a seed plant that we're involved in called Northern Tier, and we ship, you know, um, a, a lot. Of, for example, certified rye, we do foundation 
registered and certified that we ship into other states. And, and so we look always look for that value added to what we do and hopefully uh, improve upon. But it sounds like you let sounds like you let the girls kind of uh, come up with their own ideas and own things though as well, right? In the process. Yeah. So. The name of the company is theirs. They had a, a, a list of names and they picked it out. I think it was great. Yeah. Where they went. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's a tricky one because I think a lot of farm families want their kids to come back home, but a lot of farm families also don't allow the kids to do a whole lot um, like you guys are being allowed to do. You know I mean? It's pretty much <laughs> you're going to do what we've done for the last 30, 40, 50 years, and we're just going to keep doing that. And I, I think that's tough. I had a, I was talking to a friend they owned, oh, probably the largest jewelry out here, that Marotta's, Marotti's jewelry out here in Kansas City. They ship all over the world. But I asked the kid, you know, I said, it's his family's business and they're huge. He said, yeah, I didn't want to ever do this. And he was selling citizen watches and like Seiko's and that's how his family started. And, and they said, you know, he said, if I, if I could come back and do my own thing, I, I, I would love to, to do it. And they, and they said, yeah, sure. Now he's become the largest Rolex dealer in the United States. And, uh, you know, he, he took that and push that that direction but i think it was the parents that allowed them to you know kind of find their own way and and i think that's tough in in, in our world and and you know you you see that a lot of times third fourth generation farmers and uh the 50 year old 60 year old still not getting to do a whole lot and uh you know that's tough so i, I commend you guys and you know i think that's awesome your parents are allow you girls to to do your thing and find your ways and try things and Fail quick, as Paul would say, fail quick, which is good, not discouraging it. So, yeah. Jordan, what else you got? What, uh, I guess, what what's the operation look like when uh, Paul and Susie step away? Figure that out when you get there? Or is that on the horizon? Or? I think Paul will farm. Well. You, you know, yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I really, really enjoy what we do, and and it's it, the the connectivity to the agriculture, to the businesses we're in. It, I just get, it, you know, it's 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 no different than a guy that's got a bunch of cattle. He just loves to go out and look at them every day, you know, or see what they are, or whatever it is. But it's just, I I I production ag. You know, you it's it's like you plant it in the spring and you harvest in the fall, and you can see your successes and what you do, and you just try to prove upon it next year. And, and get better at what we do and and by bringing everybody in and work with everybody it's it's a different dynamic uh, uh when they have meetings now and i just it's it's fun to see the growth and we'll just see where it goes are you guys hiring people or are you looking to hire people always well yeah nice. you know you know uh it's tough to people hire work. people that work that is paul people that work you know, we've been really lucky. We, we're working with some, the last couple of years, we had some people from South Africa. And I'm so impressed and so pleased with them all. They have recently just left. Uh, they're, they're coming back uh, after the 91 days, which is, by the way, the House Bill 1603. If they get that passed, that would be huge for every farmer in the United States. I hope it gets done because they'll allow them to spend five and a half years here, not have to go back for that 91 days. But it, it's it's tough for a lot of ag businesses and other businesses just to get employees today. We've had ads out, but it's uh, it's, just, it's 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 hard to find. But now working with these folks in this program, 
The H2A has, has been fantastic for us. And we do it in our farm, Illinois, too. We have some gentlemen that come out of Mexico who are just amazing. They come back every year and they, and, and they work with us. And we've been pretty fortunate over the years where we've had a lot of good good employees, too. Yeah, good we've got some really core had, people here. Yeah. Girls, do you have to hire new people? Or are you going to have to hire more if you continue to grow? Or We are. We are looking to hire a couple new hires in 2023. Um, is our goal. So whereas yeah. we can expand with three farm daughters, we will be doing that. And then what are you what are you looking for them to do? Um day or specific jobs or one specifically in the marketing side of the company. Um and then one probably more on the supply chain um logistics side. So perfect. Perfect. Where do people get a hold of you guys if they need to on the on that front? Go to Three Farm Daughters. What is it? Yep. Uh, so Gracie it? has a really good website up for Three Farm Daughters, threefarmdaughters.com. Um, you can connect with us there. We have our social platforms on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And then the farm also has a really good website called Thrill Farm <laughs> that we have. And you can connect with us all there. And you sell the pasta? Do you guys drop ship the pasta straight from your website? Like, can I go on there today and buy 20 boxes and you'll send it to me? Yes, we do do that as well. If you're going to buy 20 boxes, maybe just let us know and we can maybe get a deal going. But yes, we do have consumer on our website. <laughs> Wholesale pricing for the people that are addicted. <laughs> yeah. Cool. You guys All right. want to <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have anything you wanted to ask us or? Anything uh, what, we, yeah, anything we didn't ask you guys that we should be asking. I, don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to point out, Annie and her husband, they have a company called Resource Auction. They actually also have an auction company here. Oh, yeah. Where they sell, they have farm equipment that they sell, which I guess didn't get brought up. We are uh, large machinery equipment auctions. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us how that is, Annie. What, and that's on, is that with your husband on, you guys do real estate, right? Dave, David, right? Correct. Yes. So David and I um, started a real estate company in the end of, I guess the beginning of 2018. When I moved back to Grand Forks after I got my undergrad, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I basically continued to go to school as long as I could. And in doing so, I worked on the farm. I got my graduate degree and I also got my real estate license and I, Worked uh, for a local real estate firm for a couple of years, and I had always attended land auctions, and I had a huge passion for egg growing up on the farm. So I started my land record business with David in 18, and then in 2021, we got into equipment auctions, which was a natural progression with uh, large machinery and land and egg in general. So we're pretty busy with that. So what, what do you do on the uh, equipment auctions? They just mostly... Up in your area, they all over the place. Can people bid on them via the internet, or how, how do you... we do a majority of online auctions, and we also do live. So David's an auctioneer. Okay. Uh, we also have a couple other auctioneers on staff. So we do farm retirement auctions. We do inventory reduction auctions, liquidation auctions, consignment auctions are big. So we actually have we have eight auctions closing in the next uh, two weeks right now. Oh, wow. So big year end push auction. What? Yeah. Yeah, you guys are busy then. Holy smokes, that's awesome. So, yeah, I've seen any like uh, collector. You guys do any like collector auctions, like collector tractors or anything like that? We do a little bit of collect tractor 
collection auctions. We actually, it's really fun. This is our first time ever. We're doing a toy auction, like a little oh yeah tractor toy auction. Um, we've had huge success for it. We actually had to cut off. Like we're not taking any more toys. We've got about I don't yeah. know 350 toys in the office right now, and it's kind of a fun auction for us. It's something we usually don't do, and we don't really specialize in, but. It's fun to do to kind of around the holidays. We've had a lot of interest of people looking to buy it for kids and different things like that. So, but is you that, know, we really specialize in the large machinery. Is that online, the toys? It is online and we do ship if you're looking at <laughs> one. <laughs> what, what's the auction site? Uh, resourceauction.com. Resourceauction.com. What are the, uh, well, like, what are the toys going for? What do you think they're going to go for? Oh, I'm not an expert on the toys, that's for sure. But um, I'm always shocked what the online prices are, uh, kind of what they bring. So we'll have to see. What's the uh, what's the coolest piece you guys have auctioned off? The I mean, we've auctioned off a lot of different things, but I guess my favorite thing to see go to auction is like a big quad track tractor. I mean, those to me, the bigger the tractor, the more fun they are to auction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't know you guys were doing that. I thought you yeah. had the real estate thing going, but yeah, I didn't know you guys were doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, sure. So you guys ever getting into like any cars or? Right now we don't do any auto auctions. We do have um, obviously service trucks and farm pickups and different things like that. Uh, but as far as maybe like the novelty classic cars, no, we haven't, we haven't dabbled into that yet. Huh. Interesting. What's, what's the goal? Is it just stay North Dakota area? Or are you guys trying to branch out into other states or? So we're, we're Grand Forks is, we're actually a border town. So we're on the border of North Dakota, Minnesota. Um, so we're heavy in Minnesota. We're all throughout the Valley, North Dakota. We had some, some in South Dakota last year and some in Montana. So we're pretty spread out and we have buyers from all 50 states because of the online auction. Jordan and I have a couple of auction ideas. So we're probably gonna have to get with you guys and talk some more specifics off the, off the podcast. <laughs> But yeah, no, yeah, we've got some serious auction ideas we've been trying to kick around. So that's probably why Jordan's over there kind of quizzing you a little. <laughs> yeah, but that'll be good. Yeah, for sure. So we've been involved in some good stuff on the auction side. So fun. Jordan, anything else? That's all I had. We covered quite a bit. So I really appreciate yeah. you guys doing it and see half of you guys at FarmCon in January. The other, I guess the other half are stuck working. So yeah someone's got to run the farm <laughs> oh, i hear you for sure so yeah that'll be great so you guys have a good holiday and i always look forward to talking to you guys and seeing you so yeah we'll get back with you jordan and i will circle with uh david and molly and them and see where we're at so yeah sure that'll be good paul thanks again nice talking to everyone fellow family <laughs>